When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. Welcome to episode four of MKT to the Future, a marketing futurism podcast. I'm joined by Jeffrey Cook, a strategist at Isobar. Jeffrey, thanks for joining me today. Hey, anytime, man. Thanks for having me. So, Jeffrey, you're, you have a very deep professional experience in futurist technologies. You're currently a strategist at Isobar. Can you talk to the audience a little bit about what your role is? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm just going to give a little bit of background. Um, I started in the industry um, in something called innovation services. I was working at an agency called 360i. And the general idea was, is that my role was to one, understand what was the latest technology we could use for marketing and advertising. And then the second part of that was being able to come up with ideas and even like make prototypes to be able to demonstrate it to both the uh, creative creative side and to the account side to be able to show the viability of that. Um, yeah, I did that for a little bit. Then I went over to Isobar um, and was also working in their innovations department and ended up going over the strategy um, mostly because I, you know, I wanted to be able to mix it in with a little bit more of the daily uh, work of being a strategist. And also because I love what that entails. But to give you an uh, answer of what do I do with that, essentially what it is is that uh, I become this uh, go-to voice within the company of how do the latest technologies work and not just like what is possible with them, but considering what is the, the customer's interaction. When you have an audience interact with something like say a chatbot or with um, the tail end of what a machine learning algorithm is doing, what is the audience thinking and doing with that? And how are they reacting to these kind of things? So it's a nice mixture of understanding audiences and understanding technology and trying to figure out where they inter like interlace with one another. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so to give a little peek behind the curtain, when I first messaged you about this, the idea that I was really hopped up on was AR and VR. I thought you'd be a perfect guest for that, which you would be. But your response blew me away, which was that AR and VR, when you talk about tech applications, are already somewhat established, especially with COVID. And you brought up a technology called BCI. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what those three letters mean? Sure. So those that stands for brain-computer interface. And Essentially what that does is that these are a variety of technologies. It's not just one type of tech, but it's a variety of different technologies that to varying degrees of accuracy can read brain waves and brain activity um, and are able to turn that into virtual instructions. Now this can range from the most advanced stuff that we have, which requires you to go under the knife in surgery and have something implanted into your brain to something that you can buy as a toy. So there's a wide variety of it. But the reason I wanted to bring that up was that whenever we think about new technology, we think about augmented reality and virtual reality. But when we start seeing that major companies like Facebook are able to make 
um, a VR headset that anybody could buy and use. And we have other companies like Apple talking about creating augmented reality glasses and releasing them by the end of the year or the start of next year. Well, then if you're trying to think of marketing in a futurist sense, that stuff is just down the pipeline. It's just about to hit. And then the next question is, well, what comes after that? And brain-computer interfacing is already in its early days. Mm -hmm. So when the first results I was finding when I looked it up were things like when Elon Musk went on Joe Rogan, you kind of touched on it in your answer. Can you go into a little more depth about uh, that extreme application of BCI that a guy like Elon Musk talks about? Right. So when we talk about like the most extreme versions of uh, BCI, we're talking about mostly medical applications. So BCI was really, has really kind of found its own in the medical community. So it's for people who need um, something called neuroprosthetics. So this means that they maybe have a loss of sight, a loss of, of hearing, maybe they have some motor skill issues. Uh, you can sometimes even see it in people who have regular prosthetics like arms or legs, specifically arms, so that there's some experimentation with being able to control hands that way. Now, what Musk is talking about is uh, he invested in a company called Neuralink. I think it was like 27 million, something like that. Um, and the idea that he's trying to purport is that he, like, for anybody who follows Elon Musk, he keeps on saying how terrified he is of AI, which, you know, simultaneously, he's also trying to make super advanced AI, which is a little bit of a, you know, I have your own opinions on that. My point being is that he is terrified of AI. And he wants to be able to enhance the average human to be able to compete with what he thinks AI is going to be in the future. So his direct philosophy of Neuralink is that he wants to make it so that people don't need to be typing. They don't need to be speaking. They don't need to be clicking around. They can just think and immediately be able to control computers with their brain. But that is the most advanced. And that's also like very, very early days. Um, that is by far not going to be a consumer product for a decade, two decades. Right. Yeah, it's it's not quite the five-year timeline that he's promoting. Well, I mean, like that, so what I'll say is like Elon Musk is a very good model of somebody who is a futurist, someone who is trying to think of the future. But I always caution people of keep in mind that he's a much better salesman than he is a builder. You know, yes, he did build an electric car uh, that is super like, you know, is very appealing to look at and is very fun to drive, at least from what I've heard. But, you know, his whole idea of the future was that everybody could be running an electric car, but he makes it so that these things are designer models and you have to pay up to hundreds of thousands to drive them, which doesn't solve the whole problem of what the electric car is trying to go at this, this solve. So my point being is whenever you hear Elon Musk talking about technology, take it with a grain of salt. Right, right. So I'm glad you brought up how fun Teslas are to drive. One of the things that people may or may not realize about technology adoption is that there's a certain fun phase at the beginning where people like to play around with it and figure out what it could do and then apply it when necessity arises. Early on with BCI, what do you see some of these fun flash applications being? I mean, like, I actually think back, like, BCI has been around since, like, the 70s. It's just only in recent years that we've started getting it. I think, like, the fun like the fun novelty that I've seen is there was, like, a Star Wars toy, I think, 
where you could put on like a little uh, headset and you could actually, if you just really thought really hard, um, a little wind turbine would like make a ball float in the air and it made you feel like a Jedi for a moment. Um, I think that right now what's going to be kind of like marketed as like the fun stuff is going to be very, very mundane to a lot of people. And it's going to be something where it's going to be fun. So I don't know, like if you've ever worn Google Glass, you know, the AR glasses that Google tried to make, I don't know, mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago. Right. You put them on and for the first five, 10 minutes, you're like, oh my God, I'm in a video game. This is awesome. And then after that, you're like, oh wait, this is actually like super hard to use. And I don't quite understand what I'm looking at. And it's kind of annoying. I think that's going to be the case with like, brain computer interface when it starts uh, becoming a little bit more advanced is it's going to be something that a lot of niche people are going to be geeking out on, but I don't think we're going to see any major market adoption in the near future because it's only going to be capable of very mundane, very basic tasks. Right. right. So what are, on the other side of interest, what are some of the broad infrastructural challenges in terms of maybe something like connectivity for uh, just having the bandwidth to carry this technology. Is that a concern? Oh yeah, definitely. Because I mean, like a big part of it is you have to figure out how do you make it so that the average person could have access to this. And as much as we like beaming light into our eyes, we're not a big fan of putting like little electrodes into our head. So anyway, that's like one aspect to think about. The other thing is, is that um, you talk about bandwidth, which is that you can get an insane amount of information from the human brain. Whether you can make sense of it is a completely different thing. You know, it's, it can be anything from just gargled white noise to like massive amounts of information, which we just don't know how to interpret. So you have this kind of aspect of trying to figure out how do you create a program that's smart enough to interpret this information and then turn it back. So you know, and I think it's like, it, it's safe to say that because machine learning, which is to say like big algorithms are a big part of that, you may need a lot of computing power in order to make early days uh, brain, brain computer interfaces viable. You touched on a few different specializations in marketing with that prior answer. So I heard a little bit about user experience professionals and what you were saying. And then towards the tail end, there's a lot of uh, the more data science types. Which aspect of the marketing profession do you see taking the lead with BCI? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think that it's going to be the UX guys first. I think that they're the ones who are going to get kind of, actually, I don't, I don't think it's even going to be the UX guys. I think it's going to be the creatives. I think it's going to be the creatives who are seeing like a fun new technology come out or start reading articles and are like, can we do this? Is this a thing? And then it's going to be the UX guys who are going to be trying to figure out like, how does that actually work? You're going to have the tech guys who are really pulling their hair out, trying to figure out like, what's the best way we can make this work. And then you're going to have the data scientists. I honestly think very far down the line um, because I think it's kind of similar to like what happened with uh, the camera or the microphone on a cell phone. Like when we first started with putting GPS or cameras or microphones onto phones, um, the whole idea was that this was supposed to be a benefit for the user. Um, and it was supposed to be something where it was a utility. 
then it, you know, a lot of very smart people started understanding, wait, anything you do on a digital device can be recorded. You know, it doesn't mean it is, but it, you, you know, if you press a button, if you click on your mouse, if you scroll down the page, that's all recorded. And I think what it's going to be is that, you know, once we start seeing more and more people using brain computer interfaces um, further down the line, that's when the data guys are going to start like really, really looking into this kind of stuff because you can learn a lot about someone with how they interact with the technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the when you really read into the subject, what they talk about are a few terms that generally mean the same thing, which is uh, a network, a web of a metaverse or what people call the spatial internet. Now, you probably have a much better way of explaining what a spatial internet looks like when it's that huge data architecture. Could you talk about that a little bit? I'm not familiar with that term, actually. OK. Um, congrats, yes. you got, congrats, you got me stumped. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so spatial internet is, like you're saying, the uh, perhaps it was a, a bad way of asking the question, but um, the three-dimensionality of it, like you were oh, saying. Oh, OK, OK. What kind of failed with Google Glasses is that they were too early and people weren't really adopted to the three-dimensionality of it. It's the idea of the Google search engine on your glasses all around. So yeah. What, what does that look like? Another way to ask the question. What does that look like when all of these technologies mesh together? I think it's something where it's it's a real challenge for UX designers. Cause like, you know, let's take a step back and look at AR and VR. Because as much as like those are kind of like the recent days, like next step for technology, I think that they have a lot of valuable lessons. Primarily, like you said, these are 3D spaces, which they're interacting with. But traditional UX design, when it comes to digital like objects, really has to do with just kind of a flat 2D UX design. And that's where a lot of it comes out of. And it's this interesting kind of question of, well, what happens when you make these digital interfaces 3D? And it's something that uh, you know VR developers and that uh, AR developers are struggling with. And sometimes you get a great success. Um, my personal favorite right now is the game uh, Half-Life Alex uh, for VR. And then other times you get these like very unintuitive designs where they need you to do 20 different things and you need to like bend your arm at like angles that don't make any sense. Uh, my point is, is that I think that right now we are very much in the like the very first days of understanding how do you convert uh, 2D digital interfaces into 3D digital interfaces. And for that, it's very important to pay attention to, in this case, I think VR video games, because I think they're the ones who are experimenting the most and are trying a lot of new and interesting things. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to circle back to my question about UX. My first episode, I had on a few friends who are really into the sport business space, and they were talking about uh, how kids really, if they want to crack into sport business, they should focus on esports and video games. Do you think that kids who are real, uh, really invested in video games at this young age are going to grow up and maybe go into advertising and be especially capable of developing this technology? I definitely think that uh, that's going to be true because I got into advertising partially because I'm a huge video gamer. I love video games because I love being 
presented with unique problems and being asked like, how do you solve this? Not in the easiest way, but in the most efficient and creative way. Um, like for instance, right now I'm playing the newest Hitman game, which is just like literally giant, giant puzzle puzzles where you have to try and figure out like the most intricate way to accomplish your goals. Mm -hmm. I really think that, I don't know if I, I'd say like video gamers are going to be the next wave of marketers, but I think that video gamers are definitely people who are very well versed in becoming marketers, specifically because uh, the whole idea of playing video games is that you're trying to solve unique problems and that you're trying to do it in the most efficient way. And it becomes something where you're also familiarizing yourself with how do people think, how they interact. To kind of expand on your question, I think it's something where, you know, marketing could start hiring video gamers today. But instead of just saying, like, do you play video games? I think it should really be the question of what video games do you play? And being able to match those, like that preferred play style with what they would be doing at the company. Like, for instance, if you're someone who plays not just a lot of like multiplayer video games, but let's say like you play Fortnite, which is more social media. Mm -hmm. Well, you probably fit better into the social media department versus if you're someone who plays, uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example one like a very intense like uh game which requires a lot of research a lot of action like let's say escape from tarkov which is an extremely hardcore kind of game okay. um you may do better with strategy or with research okay. you know i think that to your point video gamers can bring a lot of value to marketing but i think that marketing needs to kind of understand that you know, playing video games is not this unique thing. It's, you know, it's like saying that we're going to appeal to video gamers or try and hire video gamers is like saying, well, I want to also hire people who watch Netflix and treating that as like the big special thing that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the college icebreakers and the professor asks for what's your personality trait. And there's always those few students who say, I love Netflix. And it's sort of a dead end conversation. I, I think like, I think the, the, the version of that, that bugs me the most is um being on a dating app and seeing someone say i love the office it's like right. yeah it's a popular show yeah it's it's probably healthy that it's leaving netflix maybe we can have a little bit of a oh, realization god. of how important it is oh thank god anyway <laughs> so not everyone is when you get into a business setting and we talked about this a little bit before i press record which is that advertising is stuck in an old model and uh, just with the agency settings and having a chain of approvals, some ideas just sort of die and, and ideas that work well in the real world don't, don't get through that pipeline. What do you see those institutional pitfalls being for developing great ideas around BCI? I think that the biggest problem is, is culture when it comes to, to uh, advertising. Because I think that, you know, we could advance technology again and again and again, but if the mentality of how we use that technology and how do we come up with ideas for that technology is still stuck in the same kind of culture that we had back in the 1950s when um, we originally had like the Mad Men start the current agency model that we have today, then that technology is always going to be underutilized. I think that if you want to have a good idea of how broken the disconnect is between the culture of advertising and the technology that we have available, I would honestly 
look less to the future and more at like what is the most popular thing right now and just see that advertising doesn't really seem to understand it. Um, I like TikTok, I honestly think is the best way for us to understand how we need to change our thinking before we get to brain, brain computer interfaces. Um, because when I'm going through TikTok, um, I'll be scrolling, I'll be, I'll be having a great time enjoying all of this amazing content that people are making by just walking to their bathrooms and just talking to their mirror. And then suddenly uh, I'll get an ad and it doesn't just look different or like uh, sound different, it feels different. And it makes me realize, boy, marketers just don't know how to make good content on the most popular social media platform out there right now. And I, and I know it's possible because I guess like the, the two places I would recommend is look at like the Washington Post's TikTok or Planet Money, which is an NPR podcast, their, their TikTok, because that's good content that they're making. And it just so happens that there's brands associated with it. So to answer your original question, I think that if we want to look at the future and we want to figure out how do we make good content um, with new technologies? We need to take a step back and be able to say, well, what is the culture of how do we make things and how do we plan things? And how can we make sure that creators in the companies that are working on these kind of things have the freedom they need in order to create content that actually should be living on these platforms? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jeffrey, I, I think that's a great, it's a great way to put this conversation around fairly acidic technology and stuff that is hard to get your head wrapped around. I think you did a great way of explaining what that looks like in the work environment. So I, I like to end every episode with a bit of a, a brain puzzle or a challenge for my guest. And it's a futurism exercise of 15 years down the road. I, I'm a New Balance enthusiast and I appreciate the New Balance shirt that you're wearing right now. Let's say in 15 years, you are a marketer for New Balance and you have brain computer interface technology at your disposal. Mm -hmm. How do you use that to promote New Balance? Honestly, I would make it, use it as a tool, right? And I would try and figure out what is the best way we can use this technology for runners? And I think that kind of going off of that, I would say, you know, off the top of my head, make a uh, audio headset that, or you know what, you know what? No, a sweatband, make a sweatband with BCI in it that lets you control your music. So you can immediately wow. just kind of, you can just kind of think and it skips to the next song or you can think about your favorite pop, uh, playlist and it starts playing that. Because as I run, the biggest problem I have as a runner who uses New Balance is that um, I hate using those shoulder mounts for my, um, for my phone to right. hold my music. But I also know that I have a real problem of I'll tense one hand when I'm holding my phone, but not the other hand. Um, so what I'll say is that, yeah, if I was a marketer for New Balance, I would take the technology understand its advantages and then break it down to what is the simplest thing that we can do that is advantageous towards the user? Because we want to be able to do something which is easy to understand and easy to implement that the user is actually going to say, that's a really good idea. So yeah, sweat, uh, sweatband that lets me switch through my music. 
Yeah, so just to bounce off of that idea, I mean, the, the first thing I thought of is sometimes when I pick music before I exercise or I drive, I think I know what I want to listen to, but I'm not totally sure. I could foresee that technology being applied with the AI that we spoke about to actually get a little bit inside your brain and to actually know what you want based on something like the pace of your running. So it's really cool. Maybe that's shooting too far with your idea. No, I think that's actually like, I actually think that's very possible. If you ever get a chance to talk to someone who works at like say Spotify, you would be amazed at the amount of data that Spotify or all those other music uh, apps have on you because they're going to have location data. They're going to have your music data. They, they uh, can estimate what your mood is. They can figure out if you're working out based off of the music you're listening to. Right. So ergo, you could reverse engineer that. And if you could associate certain brain waves with certain music tastes, you can make it so that you have a custom run playlist every time you go out there. Because the biggest thing that people will say about running they do it so they don't have to think anymore. Right. You almost have like a blank slate and the person is just trying their best not to think. And it may actually be the best place to figure out what kind of music uh, does this brainwave tell me about. That's, that's absolutely incredible. I, I, think, I think we're gonna be shocked by, from our conversation, the amount of applications that come from BCI technology. Jeffrey, I think my audience is totally going to eat this up. Um, my friends are a bunch of geeks. So this is, this is awesome. And I think they're truly going to geek out on the stuff that we talked about. I just want to thank you again for hopping on the podcast. Uh, anytime. And if I can leave one message to your uh, listeners, buy and hold GameStock. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. And remember to stay tuned for MKT to the future to hear from other distinguished professionals like Jeffrey who have a great picture for what's coming down the road.